0: Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Aki. That's me. Welcome back to She's All Over the Place. I am so excited to have you here once again. We have an impactful episode for you today. First and foremost, I would like to say thank you so much. We are now in the top 1.5% out of all podcasts, out of over almost 3 million podcasts, we're now in the 1.5% and it's because of you tuning in. Thank you so much. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure to share this episode. It's really impactful, an important topic, and we're just going to dive right in. Today, I have India Tushi, and guess what? She is a law professor. This is my very first time having a law professor on the episode of She's All Over the Place podcast. And we're gonna chat about feminism, law, human rights, sex work. We haven't really talked about some of these things on the podcast before. And that's what the Women Empowerment Podcast is all about, exploring divine femininity in all genders and talking about things that maybe aren't talked about on certain platforms. And so I'm here to shed light, hold space, and give the mic to India. Thank you so much for joining me, India.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation today.
0: Me too. Me too. Okay, so nuts and bolts, Roots, where are you from? I'm actually from New
1: York. So I grew up in Yonkers, New York. Well, I was born in Nigeria, immigrated here when I was a few weeks old, spent most of my life, or at least my young childhood in New York, in Yonkers, lived in the Bronx a little bit and in Harlem, but that uptown kind of New York city area is is where I'm from.
0: Dope. Dope. Love New York. Cool. I think you're the first person who was birthed in Nigeria on the podcast as well. So this is going to be a first of many on this special episode. Tell us about your education and what inspired you to go into law.
1: Yeah. You know, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was very young. I don't know why. I, I'm pretty sure I didn't know what a lawyer did or was. Um, but I remember my uncle asking me when I was like eight years old what I wanted to be. And I said a lawyer and he asked me if i liked like to argue. And I said, no, of course, and said, I did not think that's what lawyers did. Um, but I, I think I've always been interested in just um, representing, you know, justice and fairness and helping people is really just something I've been interested in. And I think that's why I wanted to do the law. And in high school, I interned at a court and did different things, you know, connected to that. I was part of a mock trial team. And then in college, I actually studied uh, creative writing and um, anthropology. Uh, And I I chose those subjects because I wanted to develop my writing skills. And I'm still, you know, a pretty creative person. And um, anthropology, just understanding how the world operated, culture, and kind of thinking about the law from a kind of high level. And so like how the law is being uh, operationalized, so how people are experiencing it, different aspects of our system. And then, you know, after I graduated from college, I went to law school and, you know, did different um, work for human rights organizations and civil rights organizations. But I, I was always interested in law and just had, I guess, you know, had a different kind of perspective on how to become a lawyer than others in terms of, Still thinking about cultural issues, thinking about ways to be creative, but still grounded in, you know, the legal system.
0: Yeah. And then where did you go to school?
1: Um, so I went to Emory University for my undergrad, and that's where I got my BA in anthropology and creative writing. Then I went to law school at Fordham Law School in New York. And then after law school, I got my PhD in social anthropology and law and society.
0: Very cool. And I know, sidebar, I asked uh, if you're into Crypto Web 3, not yet. And I know a lot of people in the space definitely uh, need more uh, lawyers in the space. So I'm really excited to uh, introduce you to a bunch of people. I think you're going to be a valuable asset. And you being a creative yourself, I think, uh, you know, it'd be really cool to have that like tech, law, like artist vibe. And I mean, everyone who's tuning in right now, um, you're not seeing the video that I'm seeing, but India has this amazing palette of pink hair with these pastel pink uh, glasses on. So she's such, she's so cool. And she's such an artist. So that's really, really, really exciting. Uh, and she's gorgeous. So thank you for sharing. And then uh, what kind of law are you practicing right now?
1: So right now I teach law. And so I teach criminal law, criminal procedure. I also teach critical race theory and regulation of vice. And so basically, my focus has been on, you know, helping to um, create the next generation uh, of lawyers. And, you know, a lot of my students go into all different aspects of the law, but you know, I've been focused on really teaching them about, you know, criminal justice policies, ways to improve the law, ways to improve the system, as well as, you know, how we regulate different vices and how we can, you know, rethink that and re-examine that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And where are you teaching?
1: Um, I teach at Indiana University, Maurer School of Law. So that's based in Bloomington, Indiana. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And then the um, other school you mentioned um, before, uh, and it's one of the very first schools, which one is that one?
1: Yeah, so I'm also a senior scientist for a research institute called the Kinsey Institute, and the Kinsey Institute was started by Alfred Kinsey, who was a sexologist, one of the leading sexologists, and he focused on. He actually published this manuscript, ended up being quite famous about you know the spectrum of sexuality that we all exist on, right? So prior to his research, um, you know, the common understanding was that you're either you know gay or straight, and you know all normal sex happened in, you know, heterosexual marriage and, you know, that was pretty much it. And he really pushed back against that, challenged that and found that, no, we're actually more on a spectrum. Like, it's not just, you know, you're either gay or straight and that there's all sorts of types of, you know, sex and sexualities that exist in society. And I think, you know, his research has proven pretty, um, not only credible but, you know, really valuable to how we think about sexuality. And so I do research focused on like sex work and also sexual sexuality and online um, forms of sexual expression. And so I'm the only lawyer that's actually based at the Kinsey Institute.
0: Mm-hmm. I love all that. My mind's going in so many different directions. And um, I mean, just because it's something that's, I mean, so many things are coming, but one thing that's popping off is like only fans, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the OnlyFans thing. So I don't know if you want to talk about that a bit, but i I knew about it for a while. Like there have been some people who really don't know me, know me, but they like see an um, me from the internet and, you know, they've Um, like met me and they've said to me, you know, in their own thought, like, oh, like you should have an OnlyFans account. And um, OnlyFans isn't just for, you know, what we think OnlyFans is for. And, you know, like as an entrepreneur, I always want to be open to opportunities like, you know, Patreon and like earning money for my podcast or earning money for this, like a musician artist, like behind the scenes, like, oh, it's like a pre-day thing that you could have. And it's not just one thing. Obviously, the reputation is what it is. And maybe Maybe you could identify what you think the reputation is of OnlyFans. But first, I want to give a short story. I, I, I went to the Twitter. Well, what happened was I was scrolling because of Coachella, there were like all these popular influencers, popular musicians, like blue check verified and like, you know, like young hot. And it's like a lot of them were like posing with these like gorgeous people. And like you click on their profile, and it's only fans and you click on their profile and they're represented by an influencer company. And it's only fans and they have all these followers. And I'm like, yo, am I doing something wrong? Like am, I'm young, I'm gorgeous. Like they're on these only fans like they're making money like am I am I doing something off here because maybe I should list, listen to the people who said maybe I should have an OnlyFans account like I'm not gonna you know against, go against my ethics and morals and values and do certain things of that nature of porn or anything like that that's not me but if they can see behind the scenes of like think photos maybe exclusive photos or things about the podcast or whatever so I, I just started going on the Twitter just a few nights ago and OnlyFans was trending OnlyFans and Only only fan girls and i scrolled not for long i jumped off because i was like whoa i was like sensorily so sensitive i'm like yo and i felt very sad for humanity i felt so sad of seeing these visuals of these you know divine feminine um you know uh female identifying people or not Um, doing these poses and doing things that, I mean, if that's what they want to do, cool. But like, I'm not judging anyone. But I just felt like disheartened by like our feminism and our body and everyone can do what they want. But there was just something about it that just was kind of revolting and very sad to dumb ourselves down to such a level to do certain things. And maybe it's not wrong. But I was just anyways, I was exploring and I, I just jumped off quick. And I did like a little tweet. And I'm just like, yo, I feel like like I feel like I'm it's way out of my league. And I Like I've been in a cocoon for the last decade. Like once you feel like you're on top of it, you know, things in life and this is on a broader spectrum, but then like, you feel like, do you ever feel like you like wake up and you're like, whoa, like the whole world's changed or like, I was so advanced and now I'm so behind, like what's going on. So maybe with sex trafficking and law, maybe you're aware of some of these subjects of like only fans and and things of that nature. And, you know, someone who could be tuning in um, the ethics of about something like OnlyFans and, and justice and, and things. Do you have any comments, concerns, thoughts about anything that I mentioned? Yeah,
1: I have, I have a lot of thoughts about it with OnlyFans in particular. And so with OnlyFans, as you mentioned, there are a lot of different ways to use it, right? I think a lot of Um, The focus is on the sexually explicit content, but people use it for all sorts of things. And there may be ways to, you know, build a connection with the audience on OnlyFans. I think, you know, for all the content there, it's really about creating this sense of intimacy with people who are interested in following you, right? And people do that in a lot of different ways. They could be, you know, private conversations. It could be showing them behind the scenes, as you mentioned. It could be just giving them access where there's this sense of, you know, they are getting to know the authentic you. And I think there's a real, you know, where we are as a cultural moment in society, there is this real value that people place on authenticity, right? Feeling like I'm getting to know this person as they really are. I'm getting to know them, know the real self, as opposed to the self they put out in in public or in these really polished types of uh, forms of content, and so I think that's what you know OnlyFans is about, and so we see that in the sexually explicit. Arena in terms of people, you know, developing relationships with these audiences and giving them access to different types of materials. A lot, sometimes it's pornographic uh, materials. But in terms of like some of the current concerns you might have with OnlyFans, it's, it's, it's really interesting because what you find in OnlyFans is that some people who would ordinarily just be engaging in ordinary sex work are now on OnlyFans. And What they've said is that actually OnlyFans has given them a platform to engage in sex work with out some of the harms of traditional forms of sex work that they were engaging in previously. And I think where we saw this real explosion in the use of OnlyFans was at the beginning of the pandemic where there was this concern around, you know, in-person content. You know, there were restrictions in a lot of communities in terms of curfews or people being able to see each other in person. And so people went onto these online platforms and used that as a way to, you know, engage in different forms of sexual conduct that happens online. And so, you know, for some people, it actually provided a safer environment for them where they were able to, you know, engage in this without some of the harms that come with, you know, in-person contact and then also being able to screen out their clients. Now, one concern um, that, you know, some feminists have raised is that, you know, maybe this is just another form of sex trafficking. Maybe you know, people aren't, you know, engaging in this in a voluntary way. However, the issue with, with that argument is that actually, you know, a lot of the people who are producing content on OnlyFans have stated that, in fact, they were engaging in other forms of sex work, and this has provided them an avenue to do so in a more safe environment, in a virtual environment, and to do so in a way where maybe they're even able to, like, screen the individuals um, that they're interacting with, right? And so it has provided some opportunities for people, and, you know, especially during this time where, you know, certain individuals were really in a precarious situation. Not everyone was able to get access to stimulus money. Let's say if you don't have, you know, proper documentation of the, you know, the type of work you're engaging in previously, you know, you may have found yourself in in a situation where you weren't able to really provide for yourself, um, you know, during the, especially the early parts of the pandemic. And so some people were actually able to, you know, provide for themselves and actually earn a living that they were otherwise not able to earn. Um, But, you know, obviously OnlyFans or using, at least relying on like sexually explicit content or producing sexually explicit content, OnlyFans is obviously not for everyone, right? And, you know, there are uh, certain restrictions in terms of, you know, people should be adults, right? It shouldn't be um, anyone under age and people, you know, it should be done only with material that people are consenting to share, right? It shouldn't be any sort of, you know, material that was taken from someone and they didn't consent to be shared online, right? There should be these kind of clear restrictions. However, if someone's in a situation where like their other options are kind of limited or where they feel that, you know, this is the amount, this is an an area where I can make a living that I otherwise would not be able to make and really provide for myself and my family then perhaps this can be an avenue for them. And then, you know, OnlyFans, you know, if you're people who aren't interested in, you know, seeing or producing that type of content, there are other forums on OnlyFans. You know, there are a number of people who are actually on OnlyFans now, a number of celebrities and, you know, the like who are using it to just build intimate connections with their fan base. And I, so I think there are ways to do that.
0: Yeah, a couple different things. And thank you for all this insight and value and just opening up the space even more. I really am touched in like the idea and aspect of the ones who choose to do this they were doing in a safer way without actually being physically touched, you know, like they could still make a living and do what they need to do without being touched, you know, like, uh, like by another physical person for in safety or putting themselves in a situation on a psychological level, going to someone's house or like, you know, actually like being pushed within certain boundaries where you can just like click end or shut the computer or whatever like that. If if someone's like over it, they could just like easily shut the computer and get out because I've heard a lot of times, especially when the Me Too came out that a lot of people you know, they've been in situations where it's, uh, flight, freeze, freeze, flight, right? Where you just get stuck and numb and in the moment, you know, where you get put in a position and and people reflect back like, or you've even heard in public courtrooms, it's like, well, why didn't you just say no? Or why didn't you just leave? And you hear so many times in the workplace, like your prefrontal cortex uh, has no rationalization. It closes down, you go to fight and flight and you freeze and you're just like frozen. And then the moment passes and then you're just like, what the F just happened, you know? And it's like, in retrospect, going back or like people like us or people like who you know have a voice to share other with their experience or like this is what happens so when you're in a position have these tools before going in so you know like okay this is happening like no matter what when you freeze it just means leave like just leave so in this situation because you're not in physical you're online you can just close the computer you know what I mean you could block that person so wow and because you know there are over what 8 billion people in the world so I'm just not I'm not speaking like about anyone I'm just speaking in general you know and just kind of like hashing out some things because we have what over 60 000 to 70,000 thoughts per day, according to Dr. Joe Dispenza, 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts. So like we have these thoughts that are ruminating. And so I love having you on so we can like hash out some of these thoughts and learn about new things. So um, that's one thing that comes up. And then, yeah. So any thoughts on that? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, you know, the safety that the online space might provide that well, not might that actually it provides for people who would otherwise be working in like let's say street based locations or other you know riskier situations, um, is, is important. And you know, there have actually been sex work advocacy groups that have come out and, and spoken about this when OnlyFans was considering removing all the sexually explicit content and going in a different direction in response to restrictions from credit card companies. They people came out and spoke about, you know, some of the harms that would come from that. They spoke about the fact that actually, you know, you're doing this, you know, supposedly to restrict sex trafficking, but in fact what you're going to do is perpetuate it because people who would be able to screen out and ensure that they're in really safe spaces won't have the online space anymore. They won't be able to even communicate with each other in the ways that they've been able to communicate with each other um, previously. And so you're actually creating more risky situations. You're creating more dangerous situations. And so definitely, um, you know, I that online space can actually provide a safer space for people who are engaging, you know, in sex work or in sexual activities in the online way. And I think it's easy to miss that.
0: And the thing that makes me kind of query and uh weary, I guess to say. And like really sad is, uh, you know, like the visceral images and things you can see online. Like I didn't search for any videos and stuff. I'm sure there's certain laws about like if it can't be recorded and things of that nature. But of course there's leaks and you can't trust like anyone, especially when you're doing literally dirty business uh, that maybe one would call it but, or that kind. It's like very exposing yourself in a very vulnerable way on two sides of the street. And you have to think about your friends, and your family and the privacy. So like, you know, it's kind of sad, you know, that like someone may feel Obligated to do something like that. Maybe people want to, and they just want that kind of attention and fame. And there are people who just want to be known in a very sexual way, and that's fine. That's totally cool. But I'm sure there are a lot of people on there who are doing it who don't feel morally right about doing it. They feel like they have to do it because I know a lot as humans, like we do things because we like. There's like quotes about like you know the at the end of the day, it's like regretting and you know apologizing to self or putting ourselves through something that we thought we had to grow and go through, but we actually didn't. And then you reflect back that it wasn't worth it. a lot of times as humans, we put ourselves through something because we think we have to make ends meet or we have to do something. So I'm sure there's a lot of people like who might want to do it, but I'm sure there are people who who maybe don't and they're shame and they're blamed and they're doing anyway. And then they're taking a chance about having themselves exposed because it's online. So it can be recorded. It can be, you know, still images, photography. I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you could get a lawyer and go to court and then but you still get dragged down in the race for two, five years, whatever going out in the court system. And we we know about law and the systems and how they play out. So any thoughts? about those things? Yeah. I mean,
1: I I think you're right. You're kind of going to sort of a more fundamental issue, right? That we live in a society that maybe someone feels like they have to do something or engage in some sort of labor or work that they really don't want to in order to provide for themselves. And I think that is a fundamental issue. I think you see it You know, whether you're talking about sex trades or other sorts of labor, minimum wage work or, you know, people working in coal mines, people, domestic workers, whatever the case may be. And I think, you know, that's kind of going to some fundamental issues we have in terms of how do we ensure that everyone can be provided for, that people can, you know, engage in type of labor that they choose to if they want to engage in you know, labor and how do we really rethink the society that we exist in? And I think that's kind of like a big question, like how do we provide, ensure that people are able to provide for all their material needs? Yeah. But I, I don't think, you know, eliminating certain classes of things is the wor- is the way because it often pushes people who are in desperate situations into even more desperate situations. I think really think about how do we support people and how, how do they say they need to be supported?
0: Mm-hmm, beautiful, beautiful, yeah. Well, well said. Well received. Well said. Well said. And niching in even more. So, for example, like I have, you know, I'll just use me as the muse here. Um, let's say I have all these people, which I do, you know, like uh, on the DMs, writing me, like people I don't follow, but that write me and want to. So that would be a form of intimacy that I could want put on an fans of people who are liking my work as a model, as an actor, as a podcaster, as talent, whatever. And so instead of having it on a Patreon you know, it's more of an intimate way. And I guess it's one checking in with oneself of like, that you want that, that intimacy to be that currency to be that intimate connection of them just being fans. Or do you want to put it on an only fans thing? Because that's what they are. They're the fans and you're connecting with them. But do we allocate that and have it be free of charge or take those things if it's a nuance or is it a nuance or do you, you know, put it on that platform? So that's something to, to question and, and find out ethically if, that would be okay to do. You know, I guess one could like start messy, try something out. And if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Also, you know, in respect of like uh, marketing and like, you know, stories I've heard personally from 50, 50 Cent, you know, I went on tour with him in 2007, 2008. And what people do on purpose, like create controversy on purpose for like marketing and playing the system and the people, it could be a thing of like, and like certain people, I won't mention names who came to Hollywood, and they were not a lesbian. And she said she was a lesbian just cuz she was gorgeous and she just got eyes on her and she quickly worked in Hollywood because she said she was a lesbian and then ended up with like, you know, these males who were very famous and, and not, uh, you know, um, so there are marketing things there are things that people do. Do you think the celebrities who are on the OnlyFans are maybe doing that as a part of a marketing thing or just to empower their brand to be a part of something that's an illusion and kind of playing the system in that way or the celebrities maybe that you know of that who are on there? Because I don't know any that are because I haven't done that kind of research. I guess I could Google and just say, hey, which celebrities are on? OnlyFans and see how they're us- utilizing the platforms but based on what you know and what you think how is that from you know a different perspective
1: Sure I mean there could be all sorts of motivations for you know why people go on OnlyFans maybe it's just for marketing maybe it's you know they really do want to build an intimate connection maybe they think that they could just make a little bit more money off of it I think it could be a mix of all those things and I think what OnlyFans can offer people what you might do differently than let's say in a DM maybe you have pre-scheduled calls with like certain individuals and they're paying for the calls. At the same time, they're paying because they want to speak to you they want to get to know you better, right? You know, it could be, you know, taking them on like, a day of the life, like what? What do you do? What do you? What does it look like? You know, showing them all the pieces of you know your normal life as opposed to the part that you just want to show to the public, and maybe only those people and your only fans um, might get a glimpse of that. Um, you know, so in terms of some of the celebrities that are on there, I I believe you know Bella Thorne was on there, and it was this huge. And uh, there's a bit of a controversy around it because I think you know she made this really substantial amount of money from um like provocative um, pictures that she posted on there for, you know, her fans. I, I think it was like $2 million in a span of just, you know, a couple of days. And so there are probably some celebrities who are on there because, you know, I could, they feel like they can make a little bit more money. Um, people are interested in seeing more of them and they feel comfortable sharing more of themselves in, in whatever ways. Yeah. And it could be photos or it could be video chats. It can be skypes. There's all different ways that, um you know, people can use OnlyFans uh, to create that kind of intimacy?
0: Yeah, because I mean, people are doing it on the reels on Instagram on TikTok on YouTube. So it's like kind of the same thing, but in a, in a subscription way, kind of like Patreon. So it doesn't have to only be like, um, that one only thing that it has its um, reputation for it, there's more to it. So I'm glad we were able to hash that out and talk about it, because I think it empowers women who maybe don't know, maybe they don't have a law background, maybe they don't have certain tools and outlets of people they can talk to. And you know, we're here to create opportunities and space and education for all. So um is only fans only for female identifying people or is it for everyone? It's for everyone.
1: Oh it's for everyone. I think actually Michael B. Jordan might have at some point had an OnlyFans.
0: Okay 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 and kind of diving in since we're kind of on this subject but aligning to sex trafficking what do you think where are you with it uh, solutions uh, any acclimates that you are proud of that you've seen and uh, more work that needs to be done I mean that's a low those are loaded thoughts and questions but wh- whatever you want to speak on that would be awesome
1: sure so just to define it you know sex trafficking is someone engaging in you know forced labor relating to to sex and force meaning that they're being forced either by fraud or coercion and you know then they're engaging in this sexual labor this you know in without their consent and so you know there. are strong laws that prohibit sex trafficking. I think sex trafficking is terrible and something that you know we should be working to you know, eradicate in, in society. Now, what's important though to note is that sex trafficking is actually different from sex work, but it's important to note that because at times people will confuse the two of them. And that distinction between sex trafficking, which is done by fraud or coercion and people are being forced, is a really important distinction because at times, there have been these laws passed that say that they're aimed at sex trafficking, but are really addressing sex work. Sex trafficking is really focused on people being forced into sexual labor, whereas sex work is where people are making that choice. Now, there have been some laws that are passed. So for example, there's a law that Congress passed that goes by FOSTA, and the second law is SESTA. And it stated that it was aimed at eliminating sex trafficking. But what it actually did was prevent sex workers who post on online platforms, so like Craigslist or even Backpage, it prevented them from being able to do so um, on these online platforms. And the results of them not being able to do so on these online platforms was that they weren't able to screen their clients. And when they weren't able to screen the clients, they said that they ended up in more violent situations, that these online platforms actually allowed them to communicate with each other, tell each other, hey, don't go to this client. This person is a problem. You know, have this kind of online community. And so that type of communication that they had with each other ended up being prohibited. Right. Now, this law proclaimed to be about eradicating sex trafficking but what it ended up doing is creating more violent situations for sex workers so i think it's really important to note this distinction and to know that like if we're focused on sex trafficking then we need to make sure that the laws are narrowly tailored to people who are sex trafficking victims. That way we can actually focus on them and target them. Another issue that comes with laws that focus on sex workers as opposed to sex trafficking victims is that sex workers are often the individuals who are able to identify when someone's a sex trafficking victim, they're often the ones who are able to say that because they're going to be the ones working closely with these individuals. So they're often the ones who report someone um, to different law enforcement officials. They're often the ones who are able to identify it. And they're often the ones involved in, in stating that someone's a sex trafficking victim because they see it and they're interacting with those people.
0: Wow. They're like angels in a way.
1: I guess so. I guess so.
0: They're doing service out there. They're like regulating that kind of business. Yes, yes. And and
1: they would be the ones who are best to choose.
0: It's a big business. It's a big business. We're very primal beings. People like having sex. There are people out there. Addiction is very popular and people. There's sex addicts. I mean, it's not a secret. Like we're primal. We like touch. We like feeling. We like pleasure. And, you know, there's a lot of twisted things out there. So twisted things are happening. And so, yeah, wow. These sex workers are actually, you know, in service of like, you know, for the universe, like support. Reporting uh the injustice of sex trafficking. This is this is wow. Thank you for sharing.
1: Yeah, I mean they're often the ones who are identifying it. And what happens though, when we target sex workers, if they feel like they're being marginalized or they don't feel comfortable going to authorities when they um see someone who's a sex trafficking victim because they feel like they're going to be arrested or what they're engaged in is going to be um problematized, then they don't go and report these um these sex trafficking victims. They don't provide the same level of support. So that ends up creating a more risky situation for those sex trafficking victims, right? And so, you know, I guess the the point of what I'm saying is that at times the ways that we fashion the laws don't actually address what they're intended to address. They end up creating more difficult situations for the people who we say that we're trying to protect. So it ends up creating a more difficult situation for sex trafficking victims, you know, you think that, OK, we'll say that all sex work is going to be criminalized and that we're just going to remove it online and that's going to help sex trafficking victims. And instead, what it creates is more dangerous situations for sex workers. Sex workers who are less willing to report when they see sex tra- trafficking victims because they think they're going to be arrested or accused of being you a know, trafficker or whatever the case may be. No, I was just saying the laws don't often make sense.
0: So what happens is with the law, they're trying to eradicate it like, oh, it like it doesn't exist, which is turning a blind eye, Mm -hmm. turning a blind eye, minimize it, act like it's not there, keep on going. And then uh, another area are these humans that are in fear and they're, they're dimmed down and they're hiding and isolating and not speaking up. And this unhealthy behavior and this abusive behavior keeps happening is what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So if someone on here has funds, if they have funds and they want to contribute and or volunteer and, uh, you know, be added value in some way to take action, be a part, uh, is there a website or two where you send people that would be really good for this topic?
1: Sure. I think that looking into the organization, Coyote, so that's C-O-Y-O-T-E in the U.S. is a good organization that focuses on sex work advocacy, as well as the Sex Workers Project, which is based out of New York, that provides direct services work, as well as advocacy on behalf of sex workers, as well as sex trafficking victims. And so those are two um, great organizations that work closely with these groups and that you can you know, learn more about from and also support.
0: It's the first I heard of them and I live in New York City. So, uh, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. Really, really appreciate you. Uh, really, really important uh, topics. Um, anything else uh, before we pivot in elsewhere? No. Okay, well, I mean, that's uh, very impactful and uh, a great conversation thus far. And it can, you know, uh, sow a seed to be inspired to research more, take more action and and share this with others, especially not only females, but um, everyone, you know. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, on the topic of, you know, criminal justice and injustices. Oh, what you were saying when we first started, uh, one of my favorite books is called The Republic by Plato and it's all about just and unjust. So... It just came up for me when you were speaking earlier. And, you know, child protective services, it's so difficult because, you know, I'm sure with, you know, a lot of the law, it's state to state. And then within states, it's governed city to city. And every city and every state has their own law. So how can we all get on the same page if there's so many barriers and hoops to jump? I mean, it just seems quite impossible. And it's a it's a lot of collective work we need to do, but any thoughts in, in that? Because like, well, actually, before, I just want to say is this, is like, this relates to the topics we were just talking about. It's like, we're children, right? We're, we're all children, right? We're, we're children, there's child protective services, there's injustices in the homes, and you call child protective services, they're underfunded, you try to go to child protective services to support, and you go in there, and as long as they have electricity, as long as they have some food, as long as the kid's um, head isn't cracked open, as long as the mom mother isn't, you know, prostituting or, you know, in in some kind of thing while the child's there. Unless it's something like that, they, the Child Protective Services, they do not want to break up families and they do not want to take the child out of the home. I understand not wanting to break up families, but those very children who are stuck in those unfortunate circumstances are children. And then what happens X amount of years later, those children are adults and they've been taught these horrible things bad behaviors horrible circumstances they had no love no attention their fire is totally out they're bitter in whatever on life not everyone some of them and then they you know kill steal cheat prostitution sex workers all these things right and never given a chance never given an opportunity never given a clean slate in life to start off at a, at an a ethical baseline and then what humans do Is they shame and they blame and they point fingers at those adults. When those adults are just little kids running around, they are the same kids we had compassion for. They're the same kids we were wanting to help, but now they're young adults or elder adults with, you know, twisted formats and twisted ways of being and thinking sensorially from you know habitual bad patterns. So it's like, I'm very revved up about this. Obviously, you can see, but I just think there's so much injustice in these systems. And I'm not into law. And it's like, you know, like, From your perspective of what you're hearing, anything you want to add, like what can we do or how do you feel or what is being done or, you know, things of that nature and how people can help, you know, because it's important. Like we are children in this universe, even when we're the young adults, we're still or the elder adults, we're still those children running around who didn't have the, the support and nourishment when Child Protective Services was not called.
1: So I agree that we don't do enough to support people in this society. Like, we don't do enough to support people after they've been dealing with trauma. We don't do enough to support, you know, families who are struggling, right? Like, providing... For example, like affordable childcare, where people are able to go and you know do a decent living that they want to do, and then still be able to feel comfortable that that your children will be well taken care of, and you know be able to you know have their needs, basic needs met. We're just not doing enough to support people, especially now. We're at a time where a lot of people are desperate. You know, after the pandemic, during the pandemic, you know, people a lot of people lost their jobs or just trying to you know figure things out. You know, there was some disruption. Some people have lost, well, many people, not some people, have lost family members, lost the support that they used to have um, for their families and are still trying to figure it out. You know, our legislators, our federal legislators aren't doing enough. They're not getting their act together when they were providing support for children for, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, they haven't renewed that. I just got a notice from um, my kid's school that they've been providing um, free lunches for all children um, in schools and they're not going to do it um, next year, or it seems like they may not be doing that next year. So you imagine all the children who, you know, didn't who were close to qualifying for free lunch, but just didn't bite just a little bit. How that's going to be a real struggle for their families who are also dealing with other forms of trauma. And you know, it, we, we're just not doing enough to support people. So I, I worry, I worry about where we are right now as a society. I mean, you spoke about the system that's you know intended to regulate you know families and, and children. You know, imagine like what difficulties we're going to be dealing with with so many children who are really behind in school because of, you know, the, the pandemic, some children were able to keep up, other children were not, right? What are going to be some of the harms that come with that? You know, there's, we just have, we should be doing more than usual, and we're barely doing the, the bare minimum. And so I'm, I'm concerned, I share your concern about, you know, what are we going to see in the next 15 years as a result of this? Like, what is going to be the outcome of, you know, not dealing with the trauma that we're all dealing with actually in this moment because of, you know, dealing with this pandemic, because of, you know, all the loss that so many people have dealt with. I think we're just at a moment where we're not fully supported. And, you know, some of what you were saying, it was just illustrating the ways that we don't support people enough, where we don't support children enough. We don't give them what they need to be able to grow up, thrive, do well, and, you know, reach their full potential. And, you know, I think we we need to do better.
0: One thousand, one thousand, one thousand. Thank you for your work. And I know this is like a broader vision, right? And there's micro details that go along with it. But in kind of what you were saying, and kind of that co- what comes up for me is like, okay, if these child protective services, right? Cause it starts from reverse engineering and from, you know, the inside and these, I get, we get why the law why the system doesn't want to break up a family, but look at America, look, look at society. Like it's not working. It's already broken. Like systems are falling down. Corporations are changing. Like we're evolving as human beings, you know, in such ways. And so like, like what happens is when, when, You're a child and you get to a certain age and we do leave the family home. What happens? A lot of times I'm, you know, in New York and LA and so I'm in these bigger cities. There are people who like never go home and visit their families, right? And what happens is you become... You then you have your your blood family, then you have your chosen family, and there are people out there who create families and communities because they don't feel at home and family with their own family. So when we're young adults, we have the option and the choice to find communities to be a part of. But what if there's in child protective services within the governed law that there's like you know facilities, you know not an orphan type, but more of a communal family type where these people can go and be a part of a grander family like and call humanity family we're all family we're all one and with diversity and but have that educational aspect of love and nourishment like i feel like people such as like yourself you know who know the law you know and you like you were talking about earlier like fundamentals and structure that's what i need more of in my life all right like i am like i don't want to say lacking that i'm not like a fundamental Uh, generational kind of structure person, but someone who has that kind of structure would bring in someone like me or a nurse or someone like you to have that love, patience, compassion, to teach, to educate and things of that nature. But there has to be like the bridge in between of it being financed in a, a community wallet or some kind of thing to bridge the gap. And I really feel like a crypto web three could possibly, you know, bring that with some kind of outline. But like, I mean, how wonderful. I mean, like, I don't know. It depends because, you know, there's family that's involved in the birth certificate. and And then the parents saying yes to be able to like let your child go live in this more family communal healthy space because obviously like, When a mother births or someone births their, you know, their child, it's like they feel like they own them until they're eighteen and there's that attachment. So there's attachment issues. So that's that's unhealthy in its its own right. So I mean, it's all clearly all over the place. But I mean, I see just like in a you know, in a grand level of peace and harmony of just protecting these humans, you know, and and having them be in a space where it's safe, where it is safe, you know? So, yeah. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, thinking about alternative structures where people can choose to, you know, make their own families and support each other. I I think we saw a little bit that last couple of years, there was this real... Um, growth and mutual aid where people were supporting each other as opposed to, you know, going through just a charity system, but like communities coming together, sharing money with each other, pooling together to support people's needs. And so I think there are different ways that that can happen where people are setting up new systems of support and, and care and new structures.
0: Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so pivoting and as we hone in on this impactful episode, feminism. What does feminism mean to you? So
1: for me to be a feminist means that you are concerned with assuring that everyone, women, fem- Individuals, women identifying individuals have access to equal, equitable opportunities, status, and experiences in life. So that's the way that I would um, define it. It's just really ensuring that we all can thrive in society. And, you know, th- that's how I think about feminism.
0: Mm -hmm. And what does femme mean? Femme would be someone who
1: is female identifying or who views themselves in more of a feminine spirit. Um, And so it's just a, a broader kind of conception of what it means to be a woman
0: yeah so season four is all about um women empowerment series and exploring divine femininity in all genders so what does that mean for you you know feminism and then exploring divine femininity in all genders like what are one or two takeaways that maybe someone could ponder or something you've pondered on
1: i think embracing you know your feminine spirit embracing you know womanhood embracing you know the things that we describe as being more feminine and um you know tapping into that Seen it as a strength as opposed to weakness. You know, for people who are listening, they won't see that I have you know pink hair. But part of the reason I chose pink hair is that I realized a couple years ago that I never wore the color pink, and I asked myself, why don't I wear the color pink? And I realized the reason I don't is because I thought it was too feminine, and I had a daughter around that period of time who loves pink, and I said, why would I reject the feminine? Like, why am I rejecting it? You know, why can't pink also be gender neutral? Why can't I embrace it? And I I just started to embrace pink, right? And So for me, it was this small way of just embracing femininity as a strength as opposed to, you know, a weakness and, you know, seeing that there is power in that.
0: Oh, what a great story. I love that story. Wow. That's so cool. I'm so happy I asked that question. That's so thank you for sharing that. That's so neat. How cute. What's your little one's name? Isla. Isla? Yes. Cute, cute. And then uh, last but not least, um, do you have one or two, um, you know, divine feminine um, people you look up to? Maybe uh, the person can tune in and, and do some research, a YouTube video, or maybe read a book that would be really empowering? Sure.
1: Um, so one person that I always mention is Catherine Denham. And so she was a dancer and anthropologist. And I just always admired her, the fact that she was able to engage in this work as this serious academic, this anthropologist, but combine it with her love of dance. And she studied dance during these um, spiritual rituals in Haiti. And so, and she actually helped develop um, one modern dance technique. And so she's someone, I feel like I draw a lot of inspiration from balancing you know the creative side with that academic side. Another person is Constance Baker Motley. And so she was a lawyer with the NAACP. Um, she was also a, a federal judge in, in the district court in New York and someone who I also look at as a, a role model.
0: Wow, thank you so much. Uh, first time I've heard about these two people, so I'm definitely going to look them up and do my own research. And uh, wow, thank you so much, India, for being with us And She's All Over the Place. Uh, where can people find you? Everything will be in the show notes, but where can people find you and the best way to get in contact?
1: Sure, people can find me on Twitter. So my handle is I, I-N-G-E-R-R-I. You can also find me on my faculty webpage. So if you search India Tusi, that's T-H-U-S-I, it'll be the first page that shows up.
0: Cool, cool. And when your episode comes out the week of, I'll host you in Twitter spaces. We'll do a Twitter spaces and we'll honor you in the episode and we'll uh, have another conversation so more people can hear the episode and tune in.
1: Wonderful, thank you. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, India. Okay, everyone. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Share this with one person Posted on Facebook, your social media handles, uh, platforms, that would be awesome. Uh, Follow me. Go to my website, Chinakas.com, C-H-O-N-A-C-A-S. I have an automation set up, so it'll send you a pink sheet, a divine feminine energy that I respect and admire in um, Web3 and crypto of people that you can follow to be educated and do your own research. And uh, they're on Twitter and they're on Instagram. So just go to Chinakas.com. Also, I have amazing merch of my new NFT. So definitely uh, check those out. And a special shout out to the Nomad uh, Boulevard crew. I just won. They gifted me a new nomad. So now I have two nomads and um, I named him Henri. And he is from France. He's from the France Boulevard. He's super cool. So anyway, uh, we'll see you next week on She's All Over the Place. Take good care. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kitty at Over and out. <laughs>